0: When I was a student at Moody Bible Institute, I attended Moody Church located about a mile away on Sunday evenings. I'll never forget at the beginning, beginning of one message, Erwin Lutzer said that he was going to preach a shorter sermon because there were other elements in the service that night. And so then he made this statement, quote, if you can't strike oil in 15 minutes, stop boring. (laughs) He proceeded to preach for 50 minutes. (laughs) So we're wrapping up our Unshaken and Unashamed series this weekend, and the sermon will be shorter. Like, no, really, it will. So we can end with a panel discussion to help us apply what we've been learning together these past six weeks. But before that, in light of all that is going on in the Middle East, and in light of what you're probably thinking and wondering about and perhaps even worried about, I sense we need to be reminded of some biblical truth. If you want to do a deeper dive on this, about 10 days ago I recorded a podcast, I called it From Haman to Hamas. Just tracing throughout the Old Testament, which leads us to what's happening now with Hamas. You can get that on our website. Well, here's some truths we need to remember. Number one, God is powerful and he is in control. The Bible tells us that God works wonders even when we don't understand what's happening Jesus in John 5, 17 said, I and the Father are always at work. Isaiah 40, verse 22, calls us to remember God's reign and his rule. God sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. Number two, God loves to bring good out of bad. This principle helps us see that with God at the center of life, there is always reason to hope. Listen to what Joseph said to his brothers who had wronged him and done so much evil against him. He said these words, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. By the way, our topic next weekend will be revive us again. And I believe the greatest revivals in history are still to come. Number three, things will get worse before they get better. So as we get closer to the return of Christ, 2 Timothy 3.1 warns us things will get increasingly worse. Paul writes to Timothy, who's a pastor at Ephesus, mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. In Matthew 24.6, Jesus said, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed For this must take place, but the end is not yet. Number four, how then do we live? Well, we live one day at a time. One of the best ways to deal with anxiety is to simply focus on the day in front of us, Matthew 6, 34, therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Number five, remember this, if you're a born-again believer, you are made for a different place. This world is not our home. 2 Corinthians 5.1, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven. 1 Peter 2.11 states we are only temporary residents here. Number six, the Bible is filled with predictive prophecy. And we live at a time where we're seeing prophecy fulfilled. In Luke 21, 26, when asked what sign that the coming of, second coming of Christ is near, listen to what Jesus said. He described people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. In verse 28, he said, now when these things begin to take place, straighten up, raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. This would be a good time, church, to read Daniel chapter 9, Zechariah chapter 12, Ezekiel 38 and 39, Matthew 24, 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5 in the book of Revelation. Finally, number seven, repent so you're ready. One day, some people came up to Jesus, and they described an event similar to 9-11, similar to what terrorists do, and they're explaining that to Jesus, and Jesus, in turn, brought up another situation when 18 people were crushed to death when a tower fell on them. In both of those instances, Jesus doesn't give them an answer to why it happened, Instead, he personalizes it. And this is a message for us today. Twice in Luke 13, Jesus said this phrase, unless you repent, you too will perish. And so if you're not right with Christ, if you don't know him, if you're playing around with sin, if you're not living wholeheartedly for him, there is no better time to get ready than now. I like the insight of Corey ten Boom. Look within and be depressed. Some of us are like, yeah. Look without and be distressed. Look to Christ and be at rest. Worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. Now, let's review what we've been learning together these past weeks. Week one what you believe about God's Word will determine how you view the world around you. When we emphasized this or illustrated this by wearing different glasses, and so what glasses you look through affects how you view the world around you, and if your worldview does not come from God's word, it will, by default, come from the world. Week two, we learn that the story of God is all about the glory of God and the unfolding of the gospel. Week three, make sure Jesus is preeminent in your life, not just prominent. Week four, since Jesus is truth, we must be ready at all times to tell others the truth about him. Two weeks ago, we tackled the topic of identity. Identity. Our world teaches that people can be whoever they identify themselves to be. The word of God teaches, you are who God says you are. And Pastor Kyle did a super job last weekend. If the Christian worldview is true, well, then it must be lived out to help create a more flourishing society. If you have your Bibles with you, uh, open up to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Feel free to use your mobile device. There are Bibles in front of you as well. Here's our main idea. Parents and grandparents are to pass along the faith that they possess. Let's set the scene. The people of God have been doing laps in the wilderness for 40 years because of their disobedience. And when the generation that disobeyed died off, generation next is on the scene. It's interesting. Moses doesn't give them instructions on farming or shepherding or economics or construction or or even on war plants. So here's God's people. They're about to enter a pagan land filled with over 40 different people groups and yet His focus was on the family. And in that sense, the setting is very similar to our own. So the parental job description from this passage has five main responsibilities. Number one, this is where we must start, fear God reverently, follow God wholeheartedly, fervently love God, make sure you fill your family with faith and then facilitate faith into the future. Let's look first at fearing God reverently. I'm in verses one and two. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it that you may fear the Lord your God. You, notice the generations, you, your son, and your son's son your grandson. The word fear means to revere. I'm often drawn to Isaiah 66 too, but this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Do you fear God? Do you revere him? Number two, follow God wholeheartedly. It's not enough to just learn about God's word. We're also called to live it out. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord your God of your fathers has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. So we're to be careful to obey by hearing God's word and heeding it. The word careful means to watch carefully, to be on guard. So it's not enough to just know information. It must lead to transformation. Number three, fervently love God. Oh, look at verse four. And you see God's heart here. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is the beginning of the Jewish Shema, which literally means hear or we might translate it this way listen up this is really important it can also mean to listen intelligently and attentively to obey so the shema is a declaration of faith a pledge of allegiance to the almighty and it was recited when rising in the morning and when going to bed at night it was the first prayer a jewish child was taught to pray and the last thing a jew would pray prior to death So this verse defines the relationship God's people are to have with him. God is the only God, and there is no other. He is totally unique. He's not some vague pantheistic force. So surrounded by a world filled with other so-called deities, that's the world we live in, the people of God must declare this truth, the Lord is our God the Lord alone. Notice he is our God. He's personal. He's relational. Verse 5 continues with a challenge to love God with everything we've got. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Jesus quoted from Deuteronomy 6. Verse 6 reminds us God's word is not just to be in our heads, but also in our hearts. These words I command you today shall be on your hearts. So, parents, grandparents, we're called to pass along the faith. That we possess. Number four, fill your family with faith. We're given three ways to do that in verses seven through nine. First is to teach truth intentionally. We see this in the first part of verse seven. You shall teach them diligently to your children. To teach diligently means to sharpen, Uh, to teach incisively. It has the idea of going over and over a knife until it's razor sharp. It also means to use gentle, pressure to leave a mark in the mind or memory. Oh, would you notice whose responsibility this is? Teach them diligently to your children. And so it's not first for the church to fulfill. No, it's for parents to faithfully do. The church is meant to supplement what is done in the home. Next, talk truth relationally. Verse seven, the last part, you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise in the normal rhythms of life. And would you observe, this is more than just getting our kids up for church once a week. It certainly does include that, but the idea is we're to make an impression upon our children by talking about God when we're at home, when we're out and about, at bedtime and in the morning. So what was instinctive in Hebrew homes must become intentional in families today. Here's what it might look like in our world today. Think of mealtimes as a way to have formal discussion, to help establish values. And if your parents, families, if you're not in the regular practice of eating together with no TV on and no cell phones at the table, that would be a good application from this morning. We need that time together. How about drive time? Families today spend a lot of time in the car. Informal dialogue, it helps to interpret life. At bedtime, opportunities to have intimate conversations. And morning times, as they're trying to wake up, give them encouragement and remind them of their purpose. We're to show our kids who God is, not just in those formal spiritual settings, but also in the casual classroom of everyday life, in the normal rhythm of life. In verses eight and nine, we're taught to transmit truth practically. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Many Jews took that literally by putting passages of scripture into little boxes called phylacteries and attaching them to their foreheads or to their hands. They would also put mezuzahs containing this passage, Deuteronomy 6, on the doors of their homes. The idea is for God's word to be so central to your family's life that your kids think about God every time they turn around. We saw that in the video of the Cato family. Number five, facilitate future faithfulness. In verses 10 and 11, God looks ahead to the time when his people would finally be in the promised land. And he knows that with flourishing cities, with furnished homes, and with an abundance of food, all of that satisfaction, think of our country, think of our lives, all of that can lead to spiritual stagnation. All of that can lead us to forgetting and then forsaking. I'm in verse 12. God says, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So parents and grandparents, we must pass along the faith that we possess. We're going to transition now when I'm going to invite members of the panel up today. Uh, you're going to meet Kyle and Lisa Parks. They're making their way over there, and Sheila Kershak and Pastor Chris. Uh, Sheila Kershak, many of you know Sheila, she's our Children's Ministry Coordinator. And she's also a grandparent, and so she's gonna help us in that area. Pastor Chris is our youth pastor, uh, been serving faithfully at that and uh, thrilled for what you're gonna share, Chris. This is Pastor Kyle. Kyle oversees our discipleship ministry and focuses specifically on our mainspring, Young Adults Ministry and Liesl. Kyle are married, they have four kids and a an exchange student living with you as well. And Liesel oversees. Our nursery ministry. So, uh, Chris, let me start with you. What what have you learned in this series, or relearned?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's uh, I loved the illustration you used uh, weeks ago of the different glasses that you're putting on. And so, really, coming back to having a biblical worldview, and and really, it depends on how we're looking at the world. Uh, So the funny story is, is I woke up this morning and I take my wife to the airport. I go out to the car and everything is disheveled in my car. Both my cars got broken into this morning. I left my door unlocked. So I'm taking blame on this, but, but I'm sitting there and my initial reaction was like, Ooh, I'm going to get my hands on these guys. (laughs) And then I stopped for a second and I'm like, man, like, wait a second. And, and, and it's so easy to take those biblical worldview glasses mm. off or to change those for different glasses. I almost hate you. Sorry. I'm like, woo. So, but to change those. Are you okay? I think I'm okay. Okay. I think I had too much coffee. But to change those for different glasses. And, and so in that moment, I, I just kind of took a breath and I, I started thinking about the, the kids that broke into my car and I'm like, man, like, have they had people pouring into them? Have they been having people mm. like share biblical truth? Do they, you know, or are they just conform to the world and what the world's telling them? And, and really, I'm going to sound super spiritual, but in a moment, I just like, I, I started to pray for them because I'm, I was a little broken for them. Hmm. Right. And, and the other thing is like, why would I expect anything different? We live in a broken world around broken people. And so why would I really expect hmm. anything different? But it was just this reminder that every morning I have to put those glasses back on. And that's one thing I, I, I tell my students is like I, I wake up every morning and I kick my feet under the floor and I have to preach the gospel to myself because hmm. I've got to be reminded of what I believe. I have to be reminded of where truth is. And with that, I have to put on those glasses. Hmm.
0: Very helpful, very helpful. Lisa, what stood out to you in this series?
2: Yeah, anytime we discuss apologetics, I am just floored by the fact that um, Christianity is a belief system based on a relationship, like you hit on this morning and last night, just that that God wants a relationship with his people. And what other belief system out there can claim that? Really, you know, any other... Um, religion that God doesn't want a relationship with with the people Um, and then in the same respect our Bible is a love story and it's a redemption story that centers on the gospel and if you think of a lot of other belief systems and their holy books most of those are books of laws or rules Mm. and just the stark difference when you Mm. put uh, Christianity up against any other belief system.
3: Mm. Excellent. Kyle how about you? Yeah, I think just being intentional with everything going on in the world and then talking through the series, I think it was very timely that we we went through this. And so being intentional, uh, but also sharing truth with people with confidence and and being bold with it. I think that's just so important. We need to be reminded of that, that people are searching for truth. They want to know truth. And and deep down, even they don't admit that deep down, that's what they need. And uh, and so I've had some really cool conversations with friends and neighbors throughout the series as I've been leading in different groups throughout the week and talking about the same things on our podcast. This stuff's already on my mind and on my heart. And so then when I have conversations with people, it just comes out.
0: Hmm. And
3: and so that's been really helpful for me uh, to just be bold and confident uh, about that
0: and just be intentional. Hmm. when I talk to people. Excellent. Uh, Sheila, how about for you? What stands out?
4: So just the emphasis on the basics, that we kind of got back to basics, like what what we believe, and to be reminded that God's word is truth, and it's absolute truth Mm. for all times, and to see it uh, taught and preached in context of what's going on in the world— Right now, and just see how applicable it is and how up to date it is and how it can change lives. And just the, the, the people that I've talked to who've been believers for, for years and years just uh, now are more not ashamed of what they believe. Hmm. They know they've been reminded, and I feel that too. You've just been reminded of the truths of God's word, and it makes you excited to, to unashamedly share the hmm.
0: truth. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, Lisa, let me go back to you. How do you flesh this out in, in your own role? You're a mom of four kids. You serve as the nursery coordinator, and I know you and Kyle give a lot of intentionality to that, but what are some specific ways God's been helping you?
2: Yeah, so I would say that the first two to three years of a child's life are the most fundamental um, they're learning, their, their language is being formed, their identity is being formed, um, their bonds with their caretaker is being formed, which really sets the trajectory for the rest of their life in the way that they form relationships with people. So I would say that as believers, as our little ones are learning how to, um, to walk and to talk physically, we need to teach them how to pray and to praise. And so I think of our third-born, Owen, who's three, and um, just when we when he first started talking, he'd have observed all of us pray, and he asked to pray, start praying at the dinner table. And most nights, he fights over he wants to be the one to pray. And, <laughs> and so he's three, he's right? He's three, and yeah. he squeezes his little eyes shut, and he'll say, Dear God, thank you for Jesus dying on the cross for our sins, and thank you for going with me to the park today, and thank you for <laughs> Nadia coming to live with us, our exchange student, and so just how much um, we realized, we didn't teach them how to pray, but we remember in our house that a lot is caught rather than taught. Mm. Kind of the old adage that that's really true. Um, kids observe a lot more than we think they do. And then also praise. So we're teaching our kids to pray and to praise. And one day he was singing the B-I-B-L-E, and that's got a lot of, you know, hard words to it and um, to remember all those lyrics. And I, he was with my mom, and I said, did you teach him that song? Because I know they sing a lot of songs at church too, but I've never heard him sing every single word. And she said, no. And that night when he was going to sleep, I was going by um, his bedroom and heard on his little worship CD that he falls asleep to, that song. And that he really knows almost every lyric to all of those songs. So for us to just remember that music and long-term memory are on the right side of our brain. So if we are teaching our kids, if you put anything to music that uh, most Times will go straight into your long memory, long-term memory. Um, So also from such a young age, we are teaching, we're helping them to form their worldview. Just like we're talking about, that even these little two and three-year-olds and younger are starting to put on glasses and have Mm. a worldview.
4: Mm
0: -hmm.
2: And then lastly, when we think about um, raising young kids and how important it is, um, just from even a young age, from the time that they're babies, think of the word dedication. We want to dedicate our children back to the Lord because they're not really ours. He's given them to us for a short period to steward their souls. And so to think about, um, dedicating their whole lives to him Hmm. in just the way, um, that we live day to day. Um, but also we, we do that symbolically at church too. And so we do have a child dedication coming up and that is November 11th and 12th. If you're interested in that, you can sign up, um, online or in, on the connection card.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, why don't you keep going? You have some specific ways you're living that out in the nursery sure. ministry as well. Sure. And...
2: Sure. So in the nursery, we um, we teach the Gospel Project. Um, it's the curriculum that all of the kids through some adult classes use. And I print out the poster for each week and the stories about a paragraph that we read and point out the the picture and. Um, talk about that while they're eating Cheerios. And then we sing a song usually and point out a Bible. We have a big, black, thick Bible sitting in there and have the kids, you know, touch it and look at it and tell them it's God's word. And one mom told us that she, uh, her two-year-old, barely had any vocabulary at that time. And she said... He went up to a Bible in our house and pointed and said, Bible, Bible. (laughs) And so he, you know, he's remembering some of those things. So I think it's important for us to read, for them to see us reading our Bible at home. I know we have the Bible app, but all they see from a kid's perspective is us scrolling on our phone. So I think it's important to have, uh, Bibles at home that they see as well, um, there is a lot of chaos in the nursery. I'm what? Not, I'm not going to lie. There are <laughs> spilled Cheerios. There are potty breaks. There are kids fighting over toys because kids are just little sinners in need of redemption. So
0: Sinners need to, in need of the gospel, they yeah. need
2: the gospel. And so we are really, you know, teaching them to love their neighbor in there <laughs> and um, ha- watch how the volunteers interact with each other as well. Um, at home, Kyle and I try to read scripture and um, uh, read Bible stories to our kids every night um, and do some catechism, which is just question and answers, um, helping them flesh out the fundamentals of Christianity. And uh, there's a free app, the New City Catechism, that's really helpful in going through those. And we do try to do that every night, but there are seasons to life. And when we're busier with you know, special series at church, sometimes it's hard to fit those things in every night. But if you find that season being busier, try for most nights and don't beat yourself up if you don't get to it every single night. So we are all human. But help, help your kids to have that as an expectation in their life, that it's a habit, so hmm. they're expecting mm-hmm. To go to bed with the scripture. so when you don't
0: do it, it's unusual. Yes, yeah.
2: exactly. So there, it's a rhythm of our life. Um, and the scripture memory, I would give huge props to Awana because our kids learn most of their scripture memory. I would say they do some scripture memory at their Christian school, but for the most part, we don't try to reinvent the wheel. We partner. Awana is, and the church is partnering with parents, like you've mentioned. And so we're going to help our kids learn those verses for Awana Hmm. and really major on those at home. Um, And then lastly, just talking about a few more daily rhythms, you know, we don't always have time to sit down and have these deep conversations with our kids, but like you're saying in the car, you know, we have these ongoing conversations um, from a biblical perspective. But one good idea from a book called Habits of the Household, the uh, we had a mom study this summer, and the author of that book says, you know, it's hard to even remember sometimes to pray for our kids. You would think it would be easy. You would think that would be a top on our priority list, but it's hard to, to even fit, fit that in. And so he said, think of their bedroom door, and any time you pass your kid's bedroom door to stop and pray for mm. 30 seconds.
0: That break. visual reminder. His images
2: help us remember things, or if you are a grandparent, seeing your calendar on the wall or whatever it is, to stop and pray for your grandkids in that way. Mm. Um, and then even in the car, if we hear an ambulance or a fire truck, we've made it a habit to stop and pray for the people who are hurt. And so sometimes I don't even notice those, si- those sirens anymore, and the kids will say, we've got to stop and pray for the people who are hurt. Nice. And so just getting those, them into those habits. And then lastly, I would say talking through shows that they watch or movies that they watch, books that they read, so that they're not just ingesting things without us helping them to look at them from a biblical Do perspective. Do some critical thinking, yeah. Yes. And we are exhausted at the end of the day, I'm not going to lie, but you know, everybody's exhausted at the end of the day, right? So we might as well be exhausted trying to do the right things. So, yeah.
0: Did you guys hear that? <laughs> I mean, like all of us are tired, right? But better to be tired for doing that which lasts, right, as you pour into your kids. Um, some time ago, somebody came to church, it was a, a new person, and came in and said, where's the babysitting? And, and I smiled and I said, oh, there's a lot more than that that goes on in the nursery. And we just heard that. It's, it's a lot more than that. Uh, Chris, you and Jamie are investing in students, in teenagers. Um, in, in what ways or how have you found truth resonating in teenagers' lives today? Or, or what does resonate in their lives?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, first of all, I want to thank Liesl. Um, that music or singing helps put things in long-term memory. Brian said he was going to sing his sermon next week.
0: It'll be really good, right? Yeah, it'll be very short.
1: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, yeah. So in terms of students, I think one of the biggest things that they're really wrestling with is identity. And I look back, uh, you know, I'm not so old. I don't remember being in high school. So I, I remember still the things in, when I was in high school that we were searching for identity. And, and and at that point, it seemed like it was so much of like social status and, and things like that um, in high school. And yet now they've got people like in authority positions that are telling them that their identity is in even more things, right? And so their identity is whatever they want it to be. And I was reading an article and it was sharing the things that we find our identity in. It's the things you're passionate about and it's the things that you like or you don't like, and I'm like, man, like what happens if if I'm passionate about a sport and then all of a sudden I can't play that sport anymore? Well then where's my identity? Then who am I? Yeah. Yeah. And and, and all of a sudden you've got a, a student who's already kind of in a fragile place and now they don't even know like who they are. And so um, and, and and I press this even on parents a little bit that that students are finding their identity in sports, but so many parents are finding their identity in their child's sports, or in being the mom of somebody, right, so being a soccer mom, and they find their identity in those things. Well, what, a, what happens if all of a sudden the student can't play soccer anymore? Like, now as a mom, who are you? Because you're not a soccer mom anymore. And so it's like wrestling through, like, it, it just seems, it's so, it's so tough because these are just things that are fleeting, Mm-hmm. And where can I take and place my identity on something that's unchanging? Mm. And so it just goes back to the foundation of Scripture.
0: Mm. Yeah. So, Chris, there's a lot of parents, grandparents out here, and they may see the, the teenage grandson or granddaughter or their own child struggling. Um, but they're also rolling their eyes and stuff, right? And, and like, how, how do parents and grandparents have conversations when it seems like teenagers don't want to talk, right? Yeah. That parents are the enemies or whatever. What would you suggest?
1: Yeah, you've never had your teenager roll their eyes at you, right? So uh, I've got some students that just did. <laughs> but no, no, here's the thing. Even amongst all of that, you still have the most influence over your student's life. You do as as a parent. Even in that moment, you're still the one with the most influence. And so, and again, it may not feel like it, but you do. As a grandparent, I, I remember like trying to take and, and build people around my kids' lives that I knew would point them back to the gospel. And my, grand, or my parents were one of them that we built uh, intentionally around my kids because I knew they would constantly take them back to the gospel. And, and so I, I remember as a parent how hard it is. Let people walk through this with you, right? Let bring, bring people alongside you in terms of that. But uh, yeah, when it comes to identity, How do we keep bringing our students back to what truth is? Mm. And so uh, I I think that's the point uh, that we wrestle with. I had a really good point, and I forgot what it was.
0: (laughs) Man. I think it was profound. It probably was.
1: Oh, I do remember. Hey, so... uh, I was, so when I got sick, when I made a decision for Christ, I was 30. And so here I'm an adult and I've got kids already and I'm married already. And it was like, man, how do I do this well? How do I take and begin to raise my kids up uh, to, to chase after Jesus? And, and I had an old pastor at, at that point. He shared the best insight for me. He was like, you just have to stay one day ahead of them. And I was like, I can do that. And he's mm. like, so whatever you learn today, teach them that tomorrow. You just have to stay one day ahead of them. And so as parents, like, you don't have to have all the mm. answers today, right? Oh. Just try to stay one day ahead of where your kids are and take, keep pointing them back to Jesus. Mm,
0: that is so good. It was good, right?
1: <laughs> it was worth the weight of my job. <laughs>
0: Sheila, let me come back to you so you got this tickle going on. Uh, Kyle, um, in what ways do you see young adults uh, kind of striving to be unshaken in their faith and unashamed of the gospel? I would say uh,
3: living the truth out that they're, that they're learning from uh, Scripture and from uh, God's people here, from the church. Uh, I think in this day and age, again, truth being... Called relative, your truth, my truth, all of that. Standing firm on truth as a young adult is a difficult thing to do, and so the being bold and confident in that, and hmm. teaching them, um, living for something bigger than themselves, I think is is huge, and uh, so encouraging that in them. I'm seeing that in them, and they mainly do that through authentic relationships. Uh, a community is huge for the young adult, for Gen Z in particular. And uh, they're going to live out their faith in relationship with other people. And so that's how they're going to share their faith. Befriending someone, getting to know them. uh, Trust is built there. And then that's when those conversations take place. That's when those questions come up uh, through authentic relationships. But then ultimately, they do want to go and share the good news of the gospel to the ends of the earth uh, through missions, through living on mission here in our community as well. And you see that here. You see our young adults coming up on stage, being interviewed hearing their stories about how they're actually doing that. And so I just love to be a part of that and and to lead them and guide them through that. Hmm.
0: Uh, Um, When you think of young adults, what what would be like two struggle areas?
3: Yeah, I think a a big thing is, you know, the life of a young adult, it's a big transition taking place in life. And so they're gaining their independence, perhaps getting their own place, going off to college, getting that first big job. And so life is kind of like this. And so I think commitment level can be difficult at that time. You know, some nights for our young adults ministry, we might have 20 there. And other nights we might have 40 or 50 show up, depending on, like, what's going on in their lives. There's no rhyme or reason to it. I think it's just the life of a young adult. And so uh, helping them through that, you know, commit to be here, to be involved, to make sure you have your community. And then, uh, as well, identity. Identity is huge. So many cultural messages out there telling them they should be whoever they feel like they are, or who they wanna be in that day or situation, uh, but realizing um, they are made in the image of God, we all are, but then as believers, they are children of God as well, reminding them of that, Mm -hmm. that that is who they truly are, Mm -hmm. that is their identity.
0: Keeps going back to reinforcing truth. What does the Bible say? Mm And, and Sheila, that's important in children's ministry as well. Uh, do you want to kind of flesh that out? I know you work really hard at synchronizing children's ministry with what can and should be happening in the home.
4: Right. And, and it's been uh, a real pleasure and a joy to be teaching along the same lines as what's when going on up here. I think that, that is great to foster communication with family. And I was going to show that I have cooler glasses, Cooler glasses than yours. Those are much cooler
0: than the glasses I have. Yeah.
4: So we, d- we, d- we walked them through the same thing. And you're thing.
0: more courageous than yeah. I am too.
4: <laughs> we walked them through the same thing, that you view the world through different glasses. So what we want to view it th- the world through God's word. And... Um, We've talked about the, you know, the, the, the change in truth, how that uh, truth has become a relative thing. Truth has become whatever you want it to be. Truth has become whatever you make it. And, and the kids are getting that message as well. And so to be able to teach clearly that this is God's word, it is truth. We call it truth with a big T. Okay, and uh, just letting them know that there is (laughs) solid. There we go. Thank you, Anita. There is solid. uh, There's a solid truth, a a reality that they can build their life on, that they don't have to be making these decisions of what what is truth, what is not truth, because God's already done that for us. And so that's just been um, a great joy to teach. And then to partner with parents, I was at a conference many, many years ago where uh, it was a ch- children's ministry conference and there was a, the speaker held um, one of those little shopping baskets like when you just need a few things at hy V, you know, and it was full of uh, play pit balls. And he says there's 40 play pit balls in this basket. And he said, this represents probably the 40 hours a year that we probably get with a child in our programming, in children's programming at church. And it could vary. that has been a while ago. It might be less. might be
0: less now. might yeah. be
4: less. And so then the curtains opened and a whole team of people came up with shopping carts full of play pit balls. And his point was, these are the number of hours that parents have. With their kids. So we need to be equipping parents. We need to be partnering with mm. parents so they can disciple their kids. And just like Liesl said, Awana is a big component of that. That is one of our main discipleship tools here at Edgewood. And there, if you're not familiar with it, it is training kids to know and love and serve Christ and it's done through um, Bible memorization, through teaching of, of Bible stories, and through kids getting into the Bible themselves and learning how to study it. And so as parents, and it's built into it, that parents come alongside their kids and help them with the verses and help them with their with their uh, uh, application uh, questions and all of that. So that is a, a, a big piece. And then also... Since we started the Gospel Project, which is our um, curriculum that we use on weekends, and it starts in the nursery, goes all the way up through an adult class, it's doing that same study. And it's called the Gospel Project because it's showing that the, the, the Bible is God's story. It is all about the gospel, and every story that you read... There is, you know, Jesus is there, and the gospel is there. And so teaching them that. So every Monday, an email goes out from the church office to all parents. It's entitled, What Your Child Learned This Weekend. Hmm. And that's full of questions and activities and uh, things that parents can do to continue the discipleship uh, process. And if you're a parent and you don't get that email We want to make sure that you do it. If you're a grandparent and you'd like to get that email, we would love to um, provide that for you. You can just put it on your connection card or call the church office to get uh,
0: put on that list. Excellent. Sheila, you're also a grandparent, and you and Pastor Ed are very intentional about grandparenting. Share some things that you've learned in that regard.
4: So we've been fortunate to attend Larry Fowler's. Uh, grandparenting intentional grandparenting conference several times and and it was pointed out to us many many years ago some of the passages that you read in Deuteronomy especially the ones about your son's sons your children's children like as grandparents our job's not done it's like I raised my kids I'm done you know I, I, I don't have a responsibility I love that Chris talked about grandma praying for him for all those years, uh, we still have um, uh, an opportunity to disciple our grandkids. And we're fortunate, we have three sons, and we're fortunate that all our grandkids are being raised to know and love and serve Christ. Mm. So, and that's not always the, mm-hmm. not always the case. Mm-hmm. I know there are grandparents that are sitting out there, and it's like, I'm the only voice, we're the only voice of, of God's truth in our grandkids' lives. But we're fortunate. We feel like we come alongside of our kids and help them disciple their children. But what, what we'd want for our grandkids, first of all, we want them to be in heaven with us. And so we have, um, we want to make sure that they know our faith story and that um, that they know the truth of the gospel, whatever that looks like. And... Um, couple last year or the year before at a family vacation ed challenged the adults to all tell their faith faith story so the kids could hear that and hear how each of those adults came to faith in christ and um we also want and we've said it over and over again we want them to know that god's word is truth and that it is it applies to their life now and in the future and that it is important for them to view the world in a biblical way. We we want that to be something that they know. Amen. So well, how does that happen? I'm a teacher. Ed's a preacher. We don't sit them down. I don't teach them a lesson. Ed doesn't sit them down and preach them a sermon. <laughs> but we have conversations, like Lisa said. You know, more is caught than taught. You have the conversations when it when it's applicable, um, to to point them back to God. You're out in creation. You're out taking a hike. You're you know, seeing some amazing thing that, that God had created, again, you just remind them and ask them the good questions about that. Excellent. So um, just, and, and we pray for them. Yeah. And that is, is huge. And there is a resource on the sermon extras, the uh, 31 Ways to Pray for Your Kids and Your Grandkids. Look it up because it's a great resource.
0: Mm, thanks, Sheila. Hey, Kyle, let me wrap with you. We, we really believe in resourcing our people here. What, what would you suggest? Yeah, so
3: mostly these resources I want to share today are for elementary uh, age kids and their, their families. But this is really cool. My sister-in-law, Catherine Parks, just came out with this book. Uh, she works for Moody Publishers. It's called What to Wear. It's a kid's Bible study on looking like Jesus from Colossians 3, 1 through 14. It's when he says things to put on, things to put off uh, in our lives. And so we have just a few copies of this available left. We'll have to get some more, I think, because we have several of these uh, bought already. But you can purchase that at the cafe. And then also, I think a great resource, if, if your child is two, three, four, or 5 years old they're growing up, and you wanted them to start um, reading the Bible, knowing what's in the Bible, a great resource. You could grab this on Amazon. The Jesus Storybook Bible is, is a great tool. We went through that with our kids when they were little probably going to start that soon with the the younger two, and so I would encourage you, if you're not reading the Bible with your kids, uh, to do that with them, get in that routine on a daily basis.
0: Great. Hey, let's give them a hand. Thanks, you guys. I invite you to pray with me. God, we've heard a lot today, and Lord, um, these things are just ideas. In less Holy Spirit, you take them and apply them to our lives um, until we rearrange our schedules and live differently and uh, see you, Jesus, as preeminent in our lives, that we would be fully and completely surrendered to you as an act of our worship uh, for all that you've done for us. So Lord, take us in our brokenness and in our imperfections and Lord, would you work within us that we might be more intentional in living out what you've called us to live and what you've called us to pass on to others so that they learn it as well. And God, we focus today on revering you and we wanna do that. I'm also reminded that you invite us, Jesus, to call you friend that you are near and you're close. You walk with us and you are with us in our lives. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.